0: Well, we've said it before, I'll say it again, Happy New Year. Um, It's Sunday and New Year's Day, how often does that happen? I looked it up (laughs) every five to six years. I don't know why seven years isn't in there because there's seven, I, I don't know why. And then there's some people that think they're so smart. (laughs) I owed you that one, Pastor. (laughs) So how many of you stayed up till midnight and brought the new year in? (laughs) How many of you, like me, turned on the East Coast version of the New Year's thing and was in bed by 9.15 or so? That would be me, yes. How many of you really don't care anymore and we're in bed by eight? (laughs) Personally, I'm just too old for this, you know, midnight, champagne, gunshots, fireworks and all that kind of stuff. It's just too much for me. People party, they make noise, they drink too much, they eat too much. And just I'll leave it there. Many people believe that New Year's Day is the beginning of something new. And the reality is not so much. Because what else comes with New Year's? It's those New Year's resolutions. Now I understand that for many folks it's important to start the new year off with new goals to take steps to better oneself how many here have made new year's resolutions for this year how about for last year (laughs) are we all old enough to understand it do not work And I've heard some interesting ones in my life. I don't want anybody to get upset at this. She said, I resolved to stop blaming my passing gas on the dog. I resolved to order every drink on the Starbucks menu. I resolve I will never eat white, or I'm sorry, I will only eat white snow from now on. I will never again take sleeping pills and laxatives on the same night. (laughs) I resolved to stop burning 2,000 calories while taking a nap with cookies in the oven. (laughs) And according to a study uh, at the University of Scranton, just 8% of people keep New Year's goals While around 80% failed to keep their New Year's resolutions past one week. In a further study, it tells us that the greatest point of failure in keeping resolutions is making impossible resolutions or too many resolutions. I resolved one year to lose 20 pounds. I gained 20 pounds. (laughs) Don't know what to tell you. That's how they work for me. But there's a few that I've found that work out pretty well. Here's nine from the Bible that might be worthwhile to us to consider. I'm not saying all nine. I'm just saying here's nine examples. Number one is resolve to be a peacemaker. Matthew 5, 9 says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. It's so easy to get worked up about things. People who wrong us. We get family drama. We get social drama. We got church drama. We got all kinds of drama around us. And what does a drama cause? It makes you feel anxious. It makes you feel sad. Makes you feel angry when you think about the prospect of spending time with certain people. Unchecked, it leads to toxic relationships. You hate to be around certain people. The gossip, the rumors, the stories, the tight clicks, you just throw your hands up and say no more. but resolve to be the one who brings peace. Those people don't spread the rumors. They work to stop the rumors. They don't pass gossip along, but work to stop gossip. They don't listen to the stories. They don't join the cliques that exclude everybody else. They just want to be peaceful. And we should strive to do that. Number two, resolve to do things that are pleasing to God. John 8, 28 through 30 says, So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am, and I do nothing on my own, but I say these things as the Father instructed me, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please him. That's a pretty heavy statement, isn't it? How many of us feel we can actually please God with every aspect of our lives? I mean, after all, we're human. We make mistakes, right? But that's not the thing here. The thing here is to strive in our lives to do things to please God. Ephesians 5, 7 says, Therefore do not become partners with them, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. You see, we're not saved and justified just to do the things, whatever we want. You know, we go to church on Sunday and sin like crazy on Monday. And that's human nature, isn't it, almost? But we're to strive not to be that way. You see, our salvation was costly. And we ought to live up to what we were given. Paul tells us we're not our own in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. And it says, therefore, honor God with your bodies. That's a pretty heavy one, isn't it? Can we work on it at least? Because nobody's perfect. I know what the pastor said about me, but I, I, I guarantee you I'm not perfect, and my sermons aren't perfect. My messages aren't perfect. My life is not perfect. Number three, resolve to do the work of the Lord. Back in 1 Corinthians, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, what is labor that's in vain? I have worked on some huge construction projects. I worked on billion-dollar construction projects. Um, I was part of a team that built a General Motors stamping plant in Grand Rapids, Michigan, 40 years ago. It was a million square feet. It was in addition to an existing plant. Five years of my life. Was that work in vain? Yeah, because 15 years after that, they tore it all down. You can still look it up on Google Earth because I've gone through and put little pins on on Google Earth wherever I've worked and lived and all that. and, And it's not even suitable for a parking lot. The project put lots of people to work. It employed a lot of people for a while. In the long term, the work was in vain. Now, putting people to work, that's a good thing. You know, uh, being honest in your work, that's a good thing. But there's much we can do that's good and beneficial, that praises God in what we do in the help that we give people, in the the food distribution we do once a month, in all kinds of things, helping someone get up out of a chair if they're old and cranky like me, Um, just lots of things. These things are not in vain. They are helpful, and they give glory to God. Befriending somebody who really needs a friend that's lasting work that's work that is not done in vain number 4 is to resolve to triumph in Christ anybody here ever get anxious You know, don't don't say you don't, because I know you do. I was taught all my life that good Christians never get anxious. 1 Corinthians 2.13 says, uh, Paul is writing, he says, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. In Philippians 4 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and pleading with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. That second one was the one that got rammed down my throat. Be anxious for nothing. Paul has no peace, he's worried, he's anxious. And in spite of what the people told me, there's some 25 times in the Bible, in the books of Samuel, Psalms, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Colossians, 1 Corinthians, and Philippians that speak of godly people being anxious. To triumph over that anxiety is a good goal. Sometimes getting over that anxiety is a bigger miracle than being healed of something. Having that strength from the Lord and resolve to triumph over those things through him. I'm not saying perfect lives. I'm just saying resolve to triumph over him. How about this one? They're getting harder as we go. Resolve to die to self in every way. 2 Corinthians uh, 4 9 through 11 it says Persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. Dying to self. You see, that's really the secret for us to live with a lot less sin in our life, is to die to self. It's all my desires, my will, my plans, and just offer me to the Lord as a sacrifice daily. Dying to my need to be right. Since I got married, that's worked out pretty good. (laughs) Just joking, honey. Dying to my need to be respected, dying to my need for comfort. really just dying to me daily. And I think a lot of that has to do with what Jesus said about taking up our cross and following him. It's not worrying about ourselves. It's worrying about what we can, it's not worrying. It's being devoted to doing what we can for Jesus Christ. It's letting go of the wanting to get back at someone who has hurt me wanting to profit from someone else's expense, thinking only of my own interest. Those selfish desires and habits need to die. And that helps us be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Resolve to die to self daily. How about this one? Resolve to walk by faith doing a lot in corinthians aren't i second corinthians five uh five through seven now he who prepared for us this very purpose is god who gave us the spirit as a pledge therefore being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body we are absent from the lord for we walk by faith not by sight That's so hard sometimes just to have faith of what God is doing. I stumble with that. I mean, I was a construction superintendent. I got to be in control. I got to make sure everything is done exactly the way I want it. They used to say on my jobs that there's a right way, a wrong way, and Cal's way, and you better do it Cal's way. No, have faith that God is in control. Faith that he's going to guide us every day. Faith that if I live a life fully given to God and walk by the power of the spirit, everything I do will be rewarded by God. Maybe not in this life. I'm not one of those people, if I just have enough faith, I'm going to have a million dollars. Because somewhere along the way, I missed a million dollars. It just never got here. Rewards of an eternal nature. That's what faith brings us. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, an assurance about what we do not see. And I would encourage you to go home and read that chapter, Hebrews 11. Re- resolve, number seven, resolve to always be rejoicing in the Lord. Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, known yet regarded as unknown, dying yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, poor, yet making many rich, having nothing, and yet possessing everything. No matter what our situation is, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. Man, sometimes things are hard. We lost Karen this morning. That hurts us. But we rejoice in the Lord that she's in a better place. She has seen Jesus face to face. That's something to rejoice about. Life is painful and difficult. We have unexpected trials, people we love passing on, family members in trouble. I don't know how many times I've heard in our, in our prayers of the people, people asking for prayers for family members who aren't doing well. But we rejoice in that because God, God has a plan for them. My oldest son strayed from God for a long time and it broke my heart. Now he's in his 40s, and he's moving. He's older than you, Pastor. Thanks for that. (laughs) Teach you to talk about me before the service. (laughs) He's moving back in the right direction. But the lessons he learned will always be with him. We want these things to be over for them. But the lessons they learn are important. When we have the assurance of God's love, we can have joy in the middle of our trials because we know that God uses everything in our lives, in our kids' lives, in our family members' lives to draw us closer and to form form us into his image. I've often been asked, what's the difference between joy and happiness? Well, I can get happy opening a present for Christmas. But I lose that happiness quickly. that goes away. Joy, on the other hand, comes from God. And it stays with us. We're not giggly and happy and and all that all the time, no. But we're strong, firm, steadfast in what God is, is doing in us. And we should all strive for that joy. Always be rejoicing in the Lord. I'll just add to that, remember in Acts 16, Paul is in prison. A couple of other apostles with him. And they were singing hymns. They're in prison. They've been threatened with death. But they're still praising God. Number eight, almost done here. Resolved to give thanks for everything. Ephesians 5:19 and 20 says, speaking to one another with psalms hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus. Always and everything giving thanks. Got a flat tire. Thank you, Lord, don't know why. Four miles down the road, there's a huge accident. Now I know why be thankful always in everything no i just want a quick can i have a quick pity party can i do that just for a while no how much is everything how much, how many of us really feel like giving thanks in every circumstance It's impossible to do unless we really believe all things are working together for the good of those who love God. Because some things that happen on the surface look to be so adverse and so horrible and so tragic, I've been prone to cry out to God against these things, God, why are you doing this to me? It's kind of self-oriented, isn't it? But now I know that God is in control of my life. That nothing can happen to me except that the Father allows it to happen. And that the Father loves me so supremely, so that all things that happen happen for His purpose because He loves me. That can be so difficult. Things we would consider bad happen for a reason. Designed to draw us closer to the Lord. And here we can go back to giving our bodies as a living sacrifice. Feel thankful. Not give thanks if you feel thankful. No, give thanks, period, end of story. It's a command that we should obey. It's giving thanks always. And how many times do we miss out on that? You know? Mike, when your water heater went out, did you give thanks? Oh, he's not, yes. <laughs> <in the> <laughs> But that's just it. It gives it an opportunity for other people to show how much they love. So if something bad happens and people gather around you, what are you learning? How much God and others love you. How much they're willing to care for you. And then the last one, the one that the pastor just hit me over the head with this morning. And I'm not really trying to get back at you, Pastor. Right. It just happened. I'm, I'm just bringing it up. I'm up next, God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Resolve to be humble. Resolve to be humble. First Peter 5 says, In the same way, you who are the younger, submit yourself to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. I was on a Zoom call the other day. It was a a corporate meeting. And the discussion was about how do you keep people in today's climate? Because people today are narcissistic like you can't believe. For them, we run across young people in town and it's all about them. How do you keep somebody on a job, give them the opportunity to learn and to grow in a position when they start off thinking they know everything? It happens, doesn't it? The Bible speaks against pride 63 times, tells us to be humble 73, and gives us the benefit of humility 15 times. It's a tricky thing. If we think other people's opinion of us is more important than God's opinion of us, we are moving down the wrong path. What does God think of us? What does God think of what we should do? What others think we are good or whether they think they're bad, we're bad, it doesn't matter. Charles Spurgeon, great Baptist preacher from the 1800s, said this. Do not desire to be the principal man in the church. Be lowly, be humble. The best man in the church is the man who is willing to be a doormat for all to wipe their boots on. The brother who does not mind what happens to him at all so long as God is glorified. He had it right. And so this is my list. I don't know if I can keep them all. I don't know if I can keep two but I'm going to try because there's simple things that God expects of us. It doesn't matter, and I know there's people who will disagree, it doesn't matter how much we weigh. It doesn't matter how much makeup we put on. It doesn't matter how other people look at us and judge us. What matters is what God thinks of us, and all these things will help us in that. So, God bless you all this new year, and I pray that your life will reflect his in every way.